sometimes a Bible story has a plot twist so perfect and satisfying, you know it could only be conceived by God. The story of Esther has one, and today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals it, unpacks it, and explains how you can apply its meaning to your life as a believer. From the series, Esther, for such a time as this, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Divine Insomnia. You know, friends, when we watch the dramas that are on television, uh, the police episodes and uh, Blue Bloods or whatever we might watch on TV, sometimes the the bad guys don't get caught. Sometimes they seem to get away. And in the real world in which we live, as we watch the intrigue of the political narrative, and that happens way more than it should. But in this story, uh, there is poetic justice. God uh, is not fooled by the deceitful practices of Mordecai. And uh, I just love the fact that this story gets resolved. They don't all get resolved, but this one does. This is God's truth. And uh, we'll have some more intrigue before this particular broadcast is over. We're in the sixth chapter of Esther. Find your place there if you have a Bible. And if you have your study guide, you know what to do with that. Oz Hawkins has written a beautiful new book called The Promise Code. It's in his code series. And you have some of the other ones, I'm sure, if you're a long-term listener to Turning Point. This is a great one. It's called The Promise Code, and it contains 40 Bible promises every believer should claim. You know, when you get these books, first of all, they're so beautifully designed. You just want to sit down immediately and start reading. And when you start reading, it's quite quite often the case that you can't put it down because it's chapter after chapter of positive motivational information from the Scripture. God's promises from his heart to yours, written down in a book to encourage you as you live each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Okay, here's part two of Divine Insomnia as we conclude the week together. Let the royal apparel, verse 8, be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback throughout the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Can you imagine what was going through Haman's mind right about now? I mean, he could not believe it. He had just come there to try to get Mordecai hung. Now he's been promoted. He's going to get a royal promotion. And you notice there's one thing very interesting. We don't have time to go into this. But when the king responded, he responded with everything that Haman had suggested except for the crown. And he couldn't obviously afford to give that away. Anybody who reads the story carefully knows that what Haman was trying to do was to get himself into a position so that ultimately he could take Xerxes' place. He didn't want just to be honored as the friend of the king. He wanted to put himself in a position so ultimately he could be the king. Because you see, when you've got an ego as big as his, nothing will satisfy you until there is no one over you and everyone is beneath you. So the king said, all right, that's what we'll do. That's good advice. Haman was just overwhelmed. And that brings us to the king's instructions, verses 10 and 11. I can hardly read this without laughing. 
This is wonderful. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, make haste, take the apparel and the horse, just as you said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fall of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. He had to eat his own words. He came up with the plan for himself and now he has to fulfill it in compliance with the king for the one man in the world that he hates more than any other man on planet earth. Can you imagine what anguish was in his heart? There was nothing that could have been asked of Haman that would have been more displeasing, more disgusting, more distasteful than to put the royal garments on Mordecai to put him on the king's horse and lead him through the streets proclaiming that this is the man the king wants to honor. To accord him this honor was just absolutely mortifying to Haman. Instead of leading Mordecai through the streets in honor, Haman had intended to hang him on the gallows. The humiliation of Haman at this point is unspeakable. You can imagine the feeling that he had as he led this horse through the street with Mordecai on top. And the man who would not bow to him, he is now honoring and proclaiming. And I wonder how he said it. I bet the words caught in his throat like gravel in his mouth. This is the man the king has chosen to honor. <laughs> and he had to say it over and over. And I have a feeling as they marched through the street, they passed by the gallows. You could hardly miss 75 feet high gallows. And everything he had planned had been turned upside down. If I can use a very important term, it was a turning point. <laughs> now watch carefully. This is the most critical part in this whole book. Up until this time, Haman has been on his way up and Mordecai has been on his way down, right? At this very moment, Mordecai is on his way up and Haman is on his way down. And all of this took place totally apart from any human effort on the part of Mordecai or Esther God orchestrated it all behind the scenes and set it up and made it happen. Now in verses 12 through 14, we see the king's intimidation, how he is going to intimidate these two players. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning, having his head covered. And Haman told Jerish, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh his wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. I want you to notice, first of all, what happened to Mordecai as the result of this encounter. It says here, Mordecai came again 
to the king's gate. He was now reinstated in his old position. He just went back to doing what he had been doing before. Imagine how ridiculous the whole proceeding appeared to Mordecai. He and his people were doomed to death. In the city, he would pass posters proclaiming the day of the Jewish doom because it was set on the calendar. He would see Jews mourning in sackcloth and ashes and he'd see the gallows that Haman had erected for him, Mordecai. And at last it was all over and here he is riding on the king's horse. Almost as a show of triumph in the midst of all of the despair and death. When the parade had finished, Mordecai just went back to the king's gate. Isn't it interesting what kind of a man he was? He didn't go and demand an apartment in the palace. He didn't ask to be promoted and given an office. He took what the king gave him as a matter of honor. And when the honor was all done, he just went back to being who he was. May his tribe increase. May there be many like him who, when they're promoted by God, always allow the honor to belong to God and don't get puffed up in their own spirit and think there's something special. Mordecai just went back to the king's gate, that's all. But I'll tell you what, Haman had a much different experience. The scripture says, Haman went running home like a little puppy dog to mama. Watch this. But Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. The head covering he used was probably a veil, which was a mark of mourning in those days. He is the kind of a person, if you've studied him with me, who is up and down. I mean, he goes to the very zenith, and the next thing he's clearing the doldrums. He's a very emotional person. His emotional cycle is just like this. One moment he's way up here, and the next moment something bad happens, and he's way down here. And now he's in the lowest point of his life. He, he cannot get over what he has just had to do, leading his enemy through the streets. Every time he thinks about it, he just gets ill. And he doesn't want anybody to see him. He covers his face up. He hopes nobody recognizes him on the way home. And he runs home just so embarrassed and so sick of what's happened. He goes home to talk to his wife and to share with her all of the problems that have befallen him that day. And the scripture says, while they were talking this over, the word came from the king inviting him to the banquet the second banquet that esther had prepared and the last meal haman would ever have what a marvelous story who could have come up with a plot like this this has to be true because no one could imagine anything like this this is one of the greatest old testament stories that you will ever read in terms of intrigue and imagination and god's wonderful way of doing what he does. And having told the story, I'd like to suggest to you some of the practical applications which we can glean for our own lives. The first thing that I've written down as I reflect upon the sixth chapter of Esther is that God often promotes those who least anticipate it. God often promotes those who least anticipate it. Haman's fortunes start downward. Mordecai's take an upward swing. And which Jesus put into words in Luke 14, 11. You know what he said? Listen carefully. He said, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Isn't it interesting how God does that? 
If I could take you around this country where I travel and speak and minister and introduce you to the people that God is using today, so many of them in a mighty way, they've come from humble backgrounds. They've come from situations you'd never dream would produce leaders or influence people. And God has just desired and determined that he's going to put his hand upon them and raise them up so that he gets all the glory. And so many of these people are just humble servants who don't want to be a part of anything that puts them in the limelight. They're just there to be God's people. And God has exalted them because they have been humbled. And on that same journey, I could take you places where there's been great, great tragedy and decline. Where a person has been trusted with a ministry and God has given him influence and responsibility. Somewhere in the process, he forgot whose man he was and he became his own man. And in the process of becoming his own man, he went down to an ignominious defeat. Never forget it, men and women. God often promotes those who least anticipate it. His plan and purpose of graduation up through the ranks is far different than man's. God loves to lift up the humble. Mordecai, the humble Jew. Mordecai, the strong Jew who wouldn't bow down to Haman. Mordecai, the Jew who, when he had finished his royal tour on the king's horse in the king's robe, announced by the king's prince, goes back to standing at the gate doing what he always did before. God loves to promote those who least anticipate it. And I want to encourage you. Some of you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I don't think, I mean, I look at me, I, I look at who I am. I don't think God could ever use me. Don't you be surprised if one day God doesn't just grab hold of you and push you right up and say, I want to use you. Because God often promotes those who least anticipate it. And then I've written this down, that God often uses those who least deserve it. <laughs> Look at how he used King Xerxes. Xerxes, not even an Old Testament Christian as we understand, a Persian. A man who had no understanding of Jehovah God, but God used him. He used him by keeping him awake one night and not letting him sleep. This man who could command the wealth and labor of an empire, but couldn't command his own sleep. And he calls for the records of the kingdom to be read and as he reads them, God unfolds a plan that comes from the insomnia of a pagan king. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see it over and over again, especially in the book of Daniel. How God uses people who don't even deserve it, who don't even know they're being used. And God just works through them his wonders to perform. You know, one of the great questions of the Old Testament is how God could use a nation more wicked than Israel to punish Israel. That shouldn't surprise us. God used a jackass on one occasion to accomplish his purpose. God can use anything that he chooses, and sometimes God uses those who least deserve to be used to accomplish his purpose, and they don't even know what's happening while it's taking place. God often promotes those who least anticipate it. God often uses those who least deserve it. Finally, God often judges those 
who least expect it. You know what? Haman thought this was going to be his day. I mean, he had this all planned out. He had this thing. I mean, he was prepared for this to be the greatest day of his life. And if you had been watching this, just suppose you had been a bystander watching this story unfolded. You're a Christian. And you see righteous Mordecai, and they build a gallows to hang him. And all these godly Jews who are now going to be exterminated on this day of extermination. And here's Haman, ugly, cruel man. And he seems to have the upper hand. Everything that he wants to do seems to be done. And all of a sudden, in one day, the person who thought he lived above the judgment of God finds the sword at his neck. And you know what I find interesting? I find interesting comparing the conversation that Haman had with his wife and friends in chapter 5 and then again in chapter 6. Would you go back and review that with me just a moment? Remember what happened in chapter 5? Haman comes back and he talks about having been invited to the banquet with Esther and he's telling his wife Zeresh and his friends about it in verse 11 of chapter 5 and Haman told them of the glory of his riches and of the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king and Haman said moreover yea Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself and tomorrow I'm invited unto her also with the king Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And Zeresh's wife and all his friends said unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. And you see, all of this plan kind of came out of this conversation he had with his wife and his friends. His wife basically said to him, don't be such a wimp. If you don't like this Jew, get rid of him. Build yourself a big gallows and kill him. Get rid of him. You can do it, Haman. You're the big cheese around here. You can do it. But now, after this thing has happened that we've just described, he goes home and he has conversation number two with the same group. And I want you to read that again with me in chapter 6. Verse 13, and Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but thou shalt surely fall before him. All of a sudden, they're talking a different tune, aren't they? I mean, these are some real interesting counselors. I mean, they kind of move with the action. Have you noticed that? They kind of... You know, when things are up, they're up. When things are down, they can get down too. When Haman's all puffed up because of his experience with the banquet, I mean, they get on the act too and they say, well, you don't like that little Jew? Kill him. You know, you're in charge, man. You're the man. And he comes home and says, you don't know what just happened to me. He said, hey, listen, if you're talking about that Jew, you're in real trouble. You might as well just hang it up. I mean, it's over. It's history, son. You're done. It's finished. I mean, you sure don't need counselors like that. You know, when I'm down, I want somebody that's up. And when I'm up, I want somebody to make sure I'm not too up. <laughs> but here's some counselors, including his wife, that are just kind of flowing with the action. 
But isn't that an interesting picture, those two conversations? Haman, the great victor, and Haman, the defeated, defeated foe. Just this reminder, God often judges those who least expect it. Listen to me, friend. You may be riding high in your rebellion against God. Maybe this week everything you put your hand to worked, and you're saying, hey, don't tell me God's going to judge me. Listen, I know I divorced my wife and it wasn't justified. I know I'm running around with some other woman and I shouldn't be, and I know I don't come to church and I violated my covenant with the Lord, and I know all that stuff. But let me tell you something. My life is just fine. Everything's going just right for me. I want to tell you something, my friend. When you least expect it, God's hand of judgment can come down on you and squash you like a bug, just as he did Haman. He was so big in his own heart, but in the mind of God, he was an incidental problem on the way to God's solving the ultimate situation in Shushan the palace. I'm overwhelmed when I view the sovereignty of God in the affairs of men. There are some times when even a positive thinker like I am, sometimes when I get discouraged. And the one thing that encourages me more than anything else is to meditate on the sovereignty of God and to be aware of the fact that the God I serve is in control that he doesn't make any mistakes, that if I'm walking in fellowship with him, if I'm in his will, what may seem to be a tragedy to me may just be one of the stepping stones God is using to accomplish his will in my life and in the lives of the people that I love. And Esther is going to preside over the turnaround in Persia. Not only are we going to revel with Mordecai as he rides on the king's horse. But as you know, we're going to see that the very gallows that Haman built upon which he hoped to hang Mordecai will be the place of his own death. You tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor? Listen, God turns things back on those who violate him. And he does that even still today, doesn't he? Amen, he does. Well, it's get ready for the weekend time. I hope that you're prepared to go to church this weekend, uh, to have a ministry and serve. Uh, find us on television if you can. If it's during church, don't stay home and watch us. Go to church, DVR us, and we'll be there when you get home. And uh, whatever you do, uh, spend time with your family. Spend time with God. Make this a very powerful spiritual weekend in your life. And uh, we'll be back here on Monday. And Monday, we're going to talk about poetic justice. Kind of uh, alluded to that in my closing comments a few moments ago. But uh, the story is so intriguing. One of the best stories in all the Bible. Don't forget, you can get the study guide for this along with the CD package by going to our website. That's also where you can find information about our cruise to Alaska in July and the rally in Boise, Idaho on the 20th of April. 
Uh, it's a really great place to find information about Turning Point and the scheduling of our programming, both on radio and television, is available there. Our new Turning Point app is just so user-friendly, and I hope you have it because if you're a part of the Turning Point family, this is a good way to keep up with everything that's going on. And once again, I want to thank you for all that you do to support this ministry. We're in an impossible situation if we don't have many, many people like you who help to underwrite the cost of radio time. We are on over 3,000 radio stations in America right now, and you can just well imagine what the cost of airtime is for all of that. It's only possible because you help us. And so I want to thank you again for your prayer investment, for your financial investment, and for listening every day. And then, please, go have a great weekend and join us on Monday right here on This Good Station. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. To give us an update on how God is using this ministry, write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of the latest book from O.S. Hawkins, The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue Esther for such a time as this on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. George Mueller is well remembered as an evangelist and director of an orphanage that cared for more than 10,000 orphans in 19th century England. Early in his Christian life, Mueller began praying for three men who were not Christians, and his diary indicates he prayed for them all his life. 
But when he died, none of the three had become Christians. But they did, two in their 70s and the third in his 80s. God answered Mueller's faithful prayers in his own time. We are called to pray and sow seeds of faithfulness. Even though we may not live to see the results, God will. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to answer prayer on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.